I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today. This show is the the speed bump of conservative media out there, just trying to slow people down, <laughs> slow you down uh, on the foods and the medicines that you take, slow you down on falling in love with politicians. And for the love of God, I am trying to slow you down on the rush to more war that never works out as you think it would. The lessons of the past 20 years now that we're two years away, or are we about two years away from the Afghanistan war? Have, have we seriously forgotten already exactly what the Middle Eastern wars look like, what they yield for the American taxpayer, the American citizen, the people of the world? This show should actually be like a dead-end sign on the road, but I know that I know that is not heeded. So we'll get into being a little bit of that speed bump. Uh, in conservative media, just getting you to slow down just a little bit, stop and think. We know speed bumps. I mean, some people just tear off across them. I'm just trying to get you to slow down, maybe maybe take your time a little bit, think something through. So we're going to do that uh, today. I'm recording this on Tuesday, on voting day, before the governor's race is determined in the state of Mississippi, so no comments there. Personally, Tate is uh, he's no inspiration to me. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Of course, neither is Brandon Presley. But uh, just like I don't vote for war criminals, I do not vote for lockdowners. Now, I'm not even in the state of Mississippi, but I will admit, and I live in Jackson. Sounds like there's some important races out there in Madison County, but uh, I I might be missing something in Jackson. Blame me, but uh, I did not make any attempts to to do an absentee vote or anything for Tate Reeves. So if Tate Reeves loses by one vote, you can blame me. Or, you know, maybe you blame the candidate who shut down Mississippi in total violation of the Constitution in favor of someone like Thomas Dobbs. I I like to think those are the reasons people don't show up to the polls. Anyway, uh, really doesn't matter. We'll see who wins. Mississippi just has such a lack of creativity to change things for any, any, any substantial way. It's very depressing to me. Political arguments in Mississippi are just boring as hell. How much of a welfare state should we be? I think we should be more of a welfare state. I think we should be a little bit less of a welfare state. That's essentially what it is. A red state that the majority of their budget each year is from the federal government. (laughs) And there's not a thing that I've seen on the ballot, certainly not in the gubernatorial race, that would change that. We had our shot. We had our shot with Chris McDaniel being somebody who was at least interesting and had some good ideas, and 
might have made some dents in that trajectory. But uh, the Mississippi voters, no, they're fine with Delbert Hoseman. Good luck with that. You know, (laughs) I was looking at something on social media, saw people with the I voted stickers. And I got to tell you, I, I, I turned on those things a long time. It kind of reminds me of the I got the jab stickers, you know. No insult to anybody. I used to wear the thing, too. But to me, it is just it, it feels to me it's like the the political class, which I have such utter contempt for. It feels to me like they got me. You know what I mean? It's like, aha, we got you to participate in the system, the system that benefits us. And it hasn't worked for you for decades <laughs> and you're bragging about it. It's like a flu shot sticker. We got you to take the flu shot. Doesn't do any good. It's not a good match. It's bad for your health, but we got you. And you're going out there and you're telling all your friends, you got that shot. So uh, so I don't do those things. And, you know, there is really, there's, there's so much back and forth. So what, Mike, we just shouldn't vote at all? I, to be honest with you, I don't really care. Because... And I'm sorry. I love Mississippi. I've spent most of my life in Mississippi. Not most of the past year, but most of my life I've spent in Mississippi. But Mississippi rewards politicians who do nothing to improve our lives by getting government out of our lives. And we have just trapped ourselves in this endless stream of these kinds of people. But And maybe it's me. Is it just me? Here's my segment. Is it just me? I don't want to reward that. You know, people say, well, you know, if you don't do this and then all of a sudden, you know, Brandon Presley, we're going to have a Democrat governor. To be honest with you, at some points, I I kind of feel like maybe you need somebody that's really worse to try to get something better. You know what I mean? Of course, I was the radio show that told you you should have taken a dive on the Cindy Hyde Smith election. Let uh, who was it? Espy. Let Espy have the two years. The Republicans already had the majority on that election. And you could have actually taken those two years to go out and find a candidate that could have easily been elected two years later that was actually something interesting. So (laughs) I'm not expecting anybody to take my political advice. Mississippi is what Mississippi is because Mississippi does what Mississippi does. I love Mississippi. I'm not bashing it, but let's be real here. Mississippi's not lighting any fires of, of excitement and hasn't for most of my adult life. And it's really because we elect these people because they're not as bad as the other people that might get elected if we don't go to the polls and put on the sticker. At some point, you got to say, look, you know, I, I think there's... I think there's a lot of instances where a bad candidate wins and the whipsaw comes back and you end up with getting somebody substantially better because of how bad they made it. Now, you know, that may, it may be the only way we learn. Maybe the only way we learn. We have had some opportunities to vote for some interesting, creative, truth-telling candidates, and we've turned our back on them many, many times. And of course, my big one example is, and this is along the lines of quote of the day, we're going to take a look at a little economic stuff here to start the show off. Uh, This was one of the Republican debates. I ran across this clip from the great Ron Paul, who tried to do his best. He would have been such a great education for Americans had he had four years, even if he couldn't have gotten anything done because he would be opposed by Democrats and 
establishment Republicans. He would have been such a great teacher for the United States. This was actually what he said. I'm not sure if this was the uh, 2008 or 2012 presidential primaries when he was a candidate, but uh, I ran across this, and it's worth thinking about as we get into economics here to start the show off. I think this is not a consequence of free markets. What's happening is there's transfer of wealth from the poor and the middle class to the wealthy. This comes about because of a monetary system that we have. When you inflate a currency or, or destroy a currency, the middle class gets wiped out. So the people who get to use the money first, which is created by the Federal Reserve System, benefit. So the money gravitates to the banks and to Wall Street. So that's why you have more billionaires than ever before. Today, this country is in the, in, in the middle of a recession for a lot of people. Michigan knows about it. Poor people know about it. The middle class knows about it. Wall Street doesn't know about it. Washington, D.C. doesn't know about it, but it's because of the monetary system and the excessive spending. As long as we live beyond our means, we are destined to live beneath our means, and we have lived beyond our means because we are financing a foreign policy that is so extravagant and beyond what we can control, as well as the spending here at home, and we're depending on the creation of money out of thin air, which is nothing more than the basement of the currency. It's counterfeit, and it is a natural, predictable consequence that you're going to have people benefit from it and other people suffer. So if you want a healthy economy, you have to study monetary theory and figure out why it is that we're suffering and everybody doesn't suffer equally or this wouldn't be so bad. It's always the poor people, those on retired incomes that suffer the most. But the politicians and those who get to use the money first, like the military industrial complex, they make a lot of money and they benefit from it. Oh. <laughs> just four years of Ron Paul actually explaining things. He, he dared to say the words monetary theory in that statement. So I, a lot of people will immediately go to sleep. That's a real shame. Because what we're living through right now is really what, what Ron Paul had warned us about. And that was, I would imagine that was probably the 2012, just judging by it. In 2008, we were entering in that recession. I mean, that was, you know, the great financial crisis. I'm not sure on which, at the very beginning of that or four years into it when he spoke. But boy, he could have taught people a lot of things. Maybe could have stopped the last $20 trillion in spending by explaining to people, you're going to pay for this. Just because the Republicans come out and tell you they're going to give you a tax cut, you're going to pay for it through anyone, anyone, inflation. This, this is funny. The Wall Street Journal, I did a story last week. The Wall Street Journal basically said, hey, the economy's doing great. Why are you people being such a gloomy Gus? Well, they've done another story. <laughs> a guy named Gabriel Rubin wrote a story for the Wall Street Journal, really speaking to the middle of this country, to the, the working class, the middle class, the upper middle class that are all suffering right now. Uh, the title of his story was To Save Money. Maybe you should skip breakfast. <laughs> I mean, they were just telling us last week how great the economy was. Now they're telling us. Now they're telling us we shouldn't even be eating. I'll tell you right now. Look, I'm a one meal a day guy. You ever heard of the OMAD diet? I don't do it consciously. It's just what I eat. Really doesn't make me hungry until dinner time. So I eat. I'm thankful for that. I've been doing this for years and years now. It works with my schedule. I do save a ton of money. However, I just left like a, 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 I left a fresh market with $72 worth of groceries in 
two bags, <laughs> two or three bags. It, it is insane. My children are out of the house, so I, I have got some luxury that my grocery bills are what I decide they are going to be. And there was some steak in there. I do eat steaks. But uh, I, I don't know uh, how people is are, are making it. But I did think that was kind of interesting. So a, a good economic tip. This is the Wall Street Journal that caters to the billionaire class. They've got a tip for us little people. Quit eating so much. <laughs> you want to... Want to save money? Oh my gosh! This is where we are. How how long? How much deeper? You know, this is at three point nine percent unemployment. At five percent unemployment, and when inflation spikes back up, which it will, I guess they'll tell us that lunch is overrated too. You can all do the Mike Madison, uh, one meal a day. Meanwhile, I have spent a good deal of this show over my time here at WYAB trying to explain the bond market to people and how bonds work. It's not Radio Gold. I'm aware of that. But I think it's important. And let me tell you why it's important. I ran across this. Don't be this guy. Somebody posted this to social media. They said, perhaps my financial literacy may not be as decent as I thought. A month ago, I purchased $25,898 worth of four-week T-bills. To my understanding, the four-week bill has a yield of approximately 5%. My bill matured today, and I received $26,000 back, so that means a yield of 0.99%. I was under the impression that the yield on this would be 5% after it matures in four weeks, not annually. He goes on to say, there must be something I'm fundamentally not understanding here. The idea of these short-term securities is to keep reinvesting them over the course of one year to achieve that rate? <laughs> This guy thought he was going to get 5% on his money in a month. You understand, whenever you hear a bond or a bill or any debt instrument yield, that is an annualized yield. And so you have to, yes, yes, you actually have to continue to invest it repeatedly to get that full yield, and it will fluctuate during the course of the year. Somebody had, uh, so had responded to him. I said, yes, it totally makes sense that the world would give you 5% risk-free interest each month with an easy 75% yearly return. (laughs) This guy thought he had cracked the code on investing. Wait, you mean to tell me I can do this 12 times and make 70% on my money in a year? Why isn't everybody doing this? Well, everybody's not doing it because it's not really a thing. Uh, I also did last week. Just to kind of show you where everything's trending. I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves for you economically here. I played a clip last week of an Australian guy talking about the hurdles they were facing to withdraw their own money out of their own accounts in Australia. And I said, this is going to be something uh, across the West increasingly. Because the West is all in this boat together. And so this week I see this. Uh, Someone says, good morning from Switzerland, where authorities are considering staggered withdrawals and exit fees to prevent future bank runs. So this is in Switzerland with UBS Bank, the mega bank UBS. Another one that would not be standing at all right now had we not bailed them out back in 2008. Uh, Their standard savings account holders are allowed to withdraw 50,000 Swiss francs per year. Larger amounts of money to be withdrawn from these banks, from UBS, larger amounts are subject to a notice period of three months. If the withdrawal limit is exceeded, 0.5% is automatically charged on the overdrawn amount. 
And do you know what you get? You know what you earn for the privilege of holding your money in a UBS savings account? 0.75% on savings uh, under 50000 and 0.3% on the rest. So see, this is happening right now uh, in the West more. And, and I explained to you, the banks cannot afford for people to be taking their money out right now because they would have to sell some of their underwater bonds. And we would all find out that most of the big banks are completely uh, insolvent. When I get back, I'm going to continue to be a part of the speed bump. And uh, there's actually kind of a, let's take a little, I, I ran across a couple of messages from people and well, there's kind of a serious message in here uh, when it comes to what we're going through, what we've been going through economically really for the past couple of decades where it's been harder and harder to stay firmly in the middle class, to maintain your quality of life. You know, we've already gone from one parent working to two parents working to two parents plus, plus a side hustle and your people still falling backwards, having to take out home equity loans, max out credit cards. I mean, we've, we've been on this hamster wheel for quite some time. But there's something to think about and to pay attention to, particularly when it comes to your friends and family, as we go through these harder times, even particularly the younger generation. But I think this really actually probably more pertains to middle-aged middle people and the stress that they are actually under that we don't talk about as much. We'll do that when we come back. Stick around. Don't stop me now. There are many ways that the Mike Madison Show is an odd bird on conservative media. One of those is the fact that I have talked quite often about my sympathy for millennials and Gen Zers. We're all very quick to judge them because we see on social media it amps up some of the most bizarre behavior. We act like this generation just dropped out of the sky, like we had nothing to do with raising them. But we essentially have spent years telling younger generations, and I guess everybody, every generation does this, just get a job, work harder, succeed, while really not paying attention to the fact that we, as the middle-aged folks, the boomers, we've elected people that have looted this country and left just scraps laying around for future generations. I think we have a great deal of responsibility there. I'm pretty alone on that in radio. It's much easier and much more popular to just make fun of the kids and act like we all hung the moon. We worked hard. They're just lazy. I don't think that's the case. But it's not just young people who have been struggling, have been falling through the cracks during this time of really the financialization of everything. And I ran across a couple of things that I thought were worth talking about. Actually, kind of serious things. And I've got some... I've got some kind of personal uh, attachment to this. Uh, someone named Wendy Peppercorn had posted this to, to uh, Twitter. She said, I have now had several close friends confide in me that they are surviving on debt that are dual-income households earning two hundred and fifty to 400000 per year. Keeping up with the Joneses is a major priority to that subset of earners, and they're all in trouble because of it. They will spend until they can't, but I assure you they are rapidly nearing the point where they can't. Everything I see with my own eyes in my own life and community are now screaming recession. Wasn't the case a year ago. I see it now. Uh, just 
it doesn't take that. It's not that many years ago that a couple earning two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollars, you just think they got it made. They have just got it made. Not anymore. They've been convinced to keep getting the bigger houses and the bigger houses. Now cars are a hundred thousand dollars each. We've done these stories where people have got three, four thousand dollars of car payments every month to keep up with the Joneses. Michael Cernovich had had posted this as well. He he posted up. It's really incredibly sad story. He said, on suicide, a Twitter bro who was also good friends with mutuals killed himself. He left a child behind and also his girlfriend. His death was financial related. He killed himself over feeling like a failure over money. A month ago, he opened up. He was facing bankruptcy and financial ruin. I sent him vibes. Many others did. He still took his own life. Why? Cernovich goes on to say, I saw many friends go through the financial crisis of 08 and 09 and expected at least one to kill himself, but none did. I talked some off of a ledge. I'll do this for others now. And he goes into talking about bankruptcy and financial failure. He says bankruptcy is not a big deal. He said, I had to help so many men understand this. It's true. Bankruptcy isn't what you imagine it to be. It's embarrassing. You feel like a loser, but you move on. He said, two of my friends are multimillionaires post-bankruptcy. Society stigmatizes what is a pretty simple legal process. And it's, this is a long post, but he says, men tie their self-worth to success and money. And, and I think this is, it, this is not really even uniquely American, although the, there's a lot of pressure in America to show the outward signs of success that can really stretch people very, very thin. I've been guilty of this in the past. I'm, I'm not any longer. I've been through what he's talking about. I've been that provider that couldn't provide. It is a horrible, dark, dark place. When my children were first born, I had really been doing pretty well. Things were going in the right direction. While, while my ex-wife was in the hospital with the children. She lost her job. No big deal. I'll pick up the slack. You stay home with the kids. That was my thought. It wasn't a few months later that I ended up losing my job because my industry stopped doing business in the state of Mississippi due to lawsuits. That was kind of a big deal, <laughs> losing both incomes. Tack onto that, lots of expenses from the complicated pregnancy, I won't go all into my personal business, but boy, there were a couple of years there where I was struggling to get my feet back under me, where I had to rely on family and friends to help me, where I felt absolutely worthless. When you are a dad, young children, it doesn't matter what age your children are, if you've got people counting on you and you cannot deliver and you're trying, man, those are some dark, dark, dark times. I mean, really dark. I remember having that thought, you know, at the time, just thinking in the situation I was in, wouldn't my children be so much better off with the insurance money than they are with me right now? Oh, that thought, it came, it came many, many times. But it, so you add on to that this outward pressure to appear, to appear like you've got no troubles whatsoever, to, to stretch behind the scenes, to take on endless debt, to get that new house in the new neighborhood. Don't stay back there in the old neighborhood. Everybody's moving out here. You got to get that new car. It doesn't matter that they now cost $110,000. What did I see? A Lincoln Navigator the other day for $120,000? A Lincoln Navigator? I've never been that impressed with them. Maybe I'm missing something. 
But we've got uh, we've got a situation in this country right now where it is going to be harder to live, and we're really kind of in the opening innings of it. I, I guess I say that. We've, it's been a slow erosion for a while, but if we do have this financial crisis, we're going to have a lot of friends, children, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, all really feeling pain that they cannot come out and tell you about. There's too much pride involved. You don't, you don't want people to think you're that that loser. And the funny thing is, you know, you look around at other people and you think, I can't say anything to them. Look how they're killing it. It's so embarrassing. And you find out years later that maybe they were struggling either at the same time you were or they struggled after you or before you. I mean, a lot of people have gone through these kinds of things. Some people never struggle. We're jealous of those people. I'm jealous of those people. But it's because they've made good decisions and worked hard. Good for them. I've always been a bit of a risk taker. It doesn't always work out so well. I've enjoyed it, but there have been some dark times too. But we just need to, I, I think this is a time where people need to keep a very watchful eye. Just look for those signs of stress and your best friend's relationship with their wife. Take them out. Kind of get in their head a little bit. Ask them if everything's okay. Be that person that somebody can talk to if they need to. Because if what's coming is what I imagine is coming, there's going to be a lot of people really stressed. We've got to, we've got to decondition from this idea that you have to have this big, beautiful home and your kids have got to, they've got to have a new car to get to high school and back. If I didn't do anything else right in raising my kids, I was so proud of my daughter when she came home with a $200 Ford Explorer from the 1990s. She covered it up in bumper stickers. I didn't care what she did to it. It was a hoopty as they say, and she loved it. And I thought, now I've raised a good child. She didn't come to me saying, my friends at Madison Central, they're driving BMWs, they're driving Range Rovers, where's mine? She didn't. She was like, ooh, I want that car. Look how ugly it is. <laughs> and she's been frugal ever since. But I, I just bring this up because I, I ran across these pieces, and I can see what's coming down the pike. And we need to be aware of the people that we love, be them friends or family. We need to be probably a little bit more alert to the signs that maybe things are not going well for them and let them know that this too shall pass. I try to arm you on this show with information all the time so you know what's happening so maybe you can prosper. Boy, do a lot of people make money in crisis times. If you know what you're doing... If you, if you cut back now, if you keep your powder dry, if you're not trying to endlessly reach for just a little bit more credit so you can afford that next nice thing, because I'll tell you what, I've also had nicer things and less nice things, and I didn't notice any difference in my state of mind. There might have been some comfort to some of it a little bit, but boy, it wears off really fast. Even a great car. You can get a great car, and in 30 days, you are sitting in that great car at a stoplight, just stressed as hell. You're not enjoying that car anymore. Occasionally somebody comes by and goes, man, that's a nice car. And you get that 10-second pleasure where you go, hey, thanks. They really think I'm killing it. <laughs> but inside your soul is screaming, saying, oh, I can barely afford this thing. Thank God at least somebody noticed. I think the, there is, I'm a huge capitalist. I'm a free market guy. And I say, if you earn a lot of money and spend it, you spend it on whatever you want to do. You are free to live your life. I have made wise decisions and horrific financial decisions. I didn't want the government to rescue me when I made bad ones. I don't want them taking any of my stuff when I make good ones. So you do you. Do you. 
But I am telling you, the materialism in this country, the keeping up with the Joneses, it's it's a bit of a sickness. If you if you step back away from it and look at it, are they really your friends if you have to impress them with your home? Are they really the people that really care about you if you have to show them the new car that they're expecting you to have it? And if you don't have it, they might judge you. Are those the people you want to be surrounded with anyway? I'm just saying. It's going to be a time to pay a lot of attention to a lot of people and reach out to people if you think they're hurting. Because there may be some big tragedies down the line if we don't. Got to take a break. I'll be right back. We are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. I'm getting a little philosophical today. I'm going to jump around in my notes a little bit because I had also noticed, you know, I am such, I have such utter contempt for the political class, the major media, everybody who shoves things in our face that we don't need. It, none of it's necessary, and they get us to hyper-focus on stuff. I'm, I'm looking at the hatred among people now on our, the latest issue. We had to hate each other over the vaccine. We had to hate each other over Ukraine. Now we've got to hate each other over Israel and Palestine. We've got to hate each other over race. We've got to, I mean, just all of these things. And, and, and I know I'm, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but social media, because of who I follow, uh, particularly on Twitter, and I've told you I've got a lot of animal accounts, but I've got a lot of accounts that just do interesting, cute stuff. And, and I cannot help but realize how great life could be. You know, if, if we dropped, the, the materialism is one of those things, the idea that we really need to appear to be successful. But the, the political arguments, we, we carry water for some of the most disgusting people on the planet, people who seek to rule us. And if we got those things out, let me just tell you, I, I made a little list. It just in one scrolling session on Twitter, because there was some stuff that was really making me smile, some really beautiful stuff. People will post things about some natural wonders. There's, uh, you know, things that look like they are they're paintings, lakes in front of mountains with waterfalls. I mean, this planet is just full of absolute beauty. When I was out in California, I made sure I got out in it went out hiking in some of those areas, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. And, and I see these things on Twitter, and I realize, man, this really could be a great planet if this political parasite class would shut up and let us enjoy it. But it's, it's, it's even dumb stuff. It's a, it's a video of a cat eating a banana. It was hilarious. It was a mess. There was a video of someone walking down the street. They see a dog running on a treadmill on the front porch of the house. <laughs> it's just... It's just going for a jog. It was a rainy day. The dog was on the porch on a treadmill. There was a, there's a video of a bear waving at people. I don't know how you can mistake it. I don't know the, habit, the, the habits of the black bear, but it sure looks like this little bear is sitting on its butt, and as people pass, it's waving to them. There was a video of two men in just driving rain. There had been an accident, and a trucker had flipped in his truck. And these guys get out in the pouring rain, and they're bashing out the front windshield to get this guy out of an overturned truck. A cop was cutting a struggling dog free from a rope that they had gotten themselves tangled in. 
<laughs> there was there was one thing of just and, and this is what I mean. This is really what life should be about. This is the stuff that really it should just be. I'm not saying there's never going to be tragedies or letdowns or any of those things. I'm no Pollyanna. Life in, on planet Earth can be cruel. But there's so much beauty and humor and, and just great things around us. But we are focused, hyper-focused on some of the worst stuff. And we're led there by the nose, by this parasite class of politicians and warmongers and corporatists. All, all just looking to gain an edge for themselves. So I, I think it's so we don't notice what they've done to us. They've got to keep us divide and conquer. It's the only way they can get away, get away with it. There was a video of two guys posting... The most absurd stunts, you know, things like kind of beer pong stuff, but off a second story and then off a couple of, I mean, I can't even describe it. But they did like 12 of these things that were just incredible, and it probably took them 200 takes each. How stupid is that? What a waste of time. But they put together a video that was hilarious, and they're so excited when they get this stunt right. That's the goofy stuff that just, he and his buddies will have that video for forever, and they'll remember that day, that weekend, that week they spent trying to get all these stunts right. Because I know those takes were a one in a million shot. Who cares they were wasting their time? They were doing it with a friend, doing something that made them laugh. During Halloween, there were a ton of cute Halloween costumes, of course. And I don't know if you've seen lately drone displays. Have you seen these things, what they are doing with drones, and kind of instead of fireworks? Now, I like fireworks. I don't think there's—I hope this isn't some movement to be green so we can't do fireworks anymore. But what they can do with drones and the programming of these things, there was one the other day, I think it was in France, where it's a giant bottle of wine that actually pours out more wine into a giant glass in the sky. Some very ornate dragons— where they can just have these dragon. It looks like a dragon is flying through the sky. It's just a thousand, ten thousand drones all lined up, programmed. This stuff is just—it's amazing. There was a video of a guy playing a piano in a mall, you know, like down in the courtyard, and this cute little Asian girl walks up and just asks if she can play violin to accompany him, and she's fantastic. She couldn't have been seven years old, and all of the people lining up around her to watch. I mean, those are the things that really our lives should be about. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have responsibilities and some of life is going to be drudgery, but boy, you, you take out all of the political fighting. We, we now have people cheering for one or another side of a genocide. Literally. Some people want to wipe out all of the Palestinians. Some people want to wipe out all of the Jews. And this, we, you don't wake up. You're not born that way. Another thing you'll see on Twitter is these, these kids. These kids that are two years old, toddlers, they haven't seen each other. This was really sad after COVID. They were stripped of their life for a year. And you see this little black kid and this little white kid or little white girl that just run to each other in a giant hug. We're taught this stuff. We're programmed with this hatred, this animosity, this anger. When all these beautiful things, as goofy as some of them might be, are all around us all the time, but we are too busy getting whipped up on our tribes and fighting amongst ourselves. Hell, there, there's videos out there. I, I don't know if this is compelling to anybody. I know it sounds dumb, but it, it, there, there's videos out there of just dogs and cats, goats, monkeys, dogs and sheep, dolphins and people that, that are getting along. <laughs> These interspecies friendships, 
There was something the other day, there was a pig running across something, and you're like, the pig looks a little deformed. And you realize it's this baby monkey that has made friends with this pig. And this pig, everywhere it goes, this monkey is clinging to its neck. Sometimes it rides it like a horse. As goofy and as dumb as that is, it's cute and it's beautiful. And I just, I'm telling you, if you can ever get your mind to see that, even your guy, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, the politician that you think is the real leader and he really inspires you, but take out everything that surrounds that person, the good and the bad. Just just take them out of your life or the party, the party that you think you are called to go to battle for because the other one is an existential crisis, an existential threat to you. You've been convinced of this by the people that benefit from your participation in this crap. Just think about taking all of that out of your life. Pretend it doesn't exist. Can you imagine all this free time that we could use to just interact with people and, and do goofy, take videos with our kids, play pranks on each other? I mean, I, the mind could go crazy. How many times could you just, how much time could you spend out in nature seeing beautiful things if we hadn't let the political class make it so unaffordable to live our lives that we can't take a week off of work because we'll fall behind and then it'll all fall apart? And realize that the crux of this show, the message of this show for the past six, seven years now is they are the ones who did it to us, both parties. You're, most of you out there are fighting for one of the two parties. They are the perpetrators of the problems that we are experiencing. They are the ones who did it to you. Ron Paul was just explaining it to you in my clip earlier. They printed the money so that they could pay off their special interest, and you're paying it back with uh, inflation right now we got more Americans working two full-time jobs, not, not a side hustle, not a full-time job and then catching a little cash on the back end. No, two full-time jobs to try to make ends meet. They did this to you. There is beauty out there waiting for us to experience it, and we are opting, we are choosing, we are supporting, we are encouraging the anger and division by these political elites and I hate to use that word because there's nothing special about them. And that's the, that's the craziest thing about it all. I could kind of understand it if they were leading us somewhere great and doing something spectacular. They are not. I could almost understand it if I thought they actually cared about us. They do not. So at the very least... At the very least, I encourage you, in all of your viewing of stuff, get out into nature. Go find beautiful things to look at. I'm telling you, it's, it is cleansing. I'm watching some of the most horrific things on social media as I look at this stuff that's unfolding in the Middle East, but I am washed by these other silly yet beautiful things. And I swear, it's the only way I maintain sanity. I'll be right back. All right, only got about a minute left. That, that rant took up a chunk of the show. I had it in me, didn't I? I had to get it out. You know, it, the, the sad thing about that, though, is I believe that's what the Founding Fathers really wanted for us. They had lived in busybody countries where the government was constantly sticking its hand into your pocket and its nose into your business, and they said, no, we're going to create something better where people are just free to pursue happiness. 
That was the original intention of this country. Now, I don't know what Thomas Jefferson's views on my love for a pig carrying a monkey on its back. I don't know if he would be as amused and heartened by that as I was. But I do believe that the founding fathers of this country wanted a country where we, we didn't have to sweat all this ridiculousness. They talked about the political parties. I've read quotes endlessly on this show since I came on air where they warned you about political parties. They said that there's no greater danger to our country than dividing it into two great groups. And yet they've done it. This crop of parasites, these very uninspirational, unimpressive people have convinced us to give up the dreams of the Founding Fathers and our pursuit of happiness instead of pursuit of each other, to fight for our team. That, that's the sad part about it to me. There is so much out there that is just beautiful. Every day I interact with strangers, just nature of my job. 98% of those interactions are really pretty great. I usually get into conversations with people about places or things, or they're, they're recommending places I should go eat or inviting me to their house for dinner after talking for 20 minutes. I mean, it's just, that's what people are at the core. We're taught, we're convinced, we're coerced into the rest of the crap. And boy, my only dream, my only dream is to get these people out of our lives. That explains to you why I'm a libertarian. That's all the time I got today. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Here comes the-